coming up, part one of a two-part podcast. I did not plan for this to be a two-part podcast, but once again, probably because Jack Tuhill was on the podcast, um, and whenever Jack comes on, we just happen to record for like three and a half hours on a Sunday or Monday night, and I go to bed at like midnight or something crazy, ridiculous hour like that, um, which is just annoying, but at the same time, some some excellent conversation I actually felt from from the three and a half hours we recorded. So I've split this into two parts. So this first part that you're going to listen to now uh, is about an hour or so. We spoke about a bunch of things happening in Australian football at the moment. Uh, the news recently around the APL, um, this whole Salim Khalifi situation with Perth and and just Perth in general, their, their win over the Wanderers I thought was really important to talk about. Also, I found the Mariners City game yesterday quite interesting. Not yesterday, when was that? On Sunday. I'm recording this on a Tuesday morning. So, uh, yeah, we spoke about that a little bit, some other stuff, some ruse talk, uh, reviewing the game against Syria, um, and then looking ahead to Uzbekistan, which is tonight, of course, Australia's final group game uh, as well. So, a few different things that we hit across the Australian football sphere. So, I hope you enjoy this first part. The second part I'll introduce uh, in the second part um, was a very, very long segment. Um, But without further ado, we'll be back with part one of the two-part podcast right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Marchetti. And joining me tonight, I've got Jake Holub. Jake, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for this one. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a spoiler ahead. We have a nice little sort of podcast segment we're going to be doing, which I'm very excited about. All right. Sorry, buddy. You want to host? I'm just really excited for it. I just really want to do it. Uh, and we are also joined by Jack Tuhill. Jack, how are you? I'm good. Um, I don't know if I've been in the podcast since the new year. So happy new year to all you A-League fans out there. Yeah. And I'm um, looking forward to a very interesting podcast to say the least. Yeah, well, speaking of new year, 2024, what an awesome start for Australian football it's been. Just just awesome. Uh, let's. So we've got, as Jake teased, we've got a fun little segment in the second part of the podcast, but we'll just go over some topical stuff uh, in this first part, starting with something which is kind of close to home, I guess, a little bit too, with the news, uh, what would have been probably a week ago now, uh, maybe a little under a week of um, the APL, um, you know, with their budget cuts and and laying off almost half of their workforce and that also meaning that Keep Up is being shut down as a as a digital platform. Um, and for people who are working in the football media space, it's not a not a pleasant thing to hear, obviously. Uh, and the first thing we should start, of course, um, before we get into this is, you know, um, thoughts very much with the people who were laid off, of course, uh, from, from Keep Up, a lot of people who, you know, uh, I know, us here are aware of uh, some who we've definitely probably met as well, um, and yeah, just a just a terrible situation to be in, and kind of just underlines the fact that 
um, you know, there's a lot of people in in Australia uh, who who love football and want to cover it, um, but it's just not it's just not easy to do that, uh, and the climate isn't there. But the APL, from what's kind of been coming out over this past week, uh, have made the climate probably even worse than than what it could have been. Um, and we've I heard heard a couple of people. Uh, Robbie Slater, Mark Bosnich going on radio um, and then expressing their views in a very uh, forthright um, and aggressive, I guess, manner. Um, and yeah, it's just uh, it's just blown up into this situation once again, kind of like the grand final deal where it's now a case of what's going on with the game. Um, and to be honest, you know, for me, this was not surprising. Uh, based on, you know, intel I had over, you know, kind of the last probably 12 months or so listening and hearing about, you know, Club X going through this and Club Y going through this. And you just think this this can't be sustainable and something's going to give at some point. And clearly what has given is the Keep Up platform. And it's really shit, you know, <laughs> because uh, even us here, we're an independent platform, front page football, but I know a lot of us, I mean, Jake, Jack, probably read keep up you know read a lot of content on there and a lot of it i said this over and over again like it was good stuff like i never really had a problem with it particularly for the rusted on australian football fan um but now but now i guess that's gone um and you know you could see it with something like all access going from half an hour episodes being really insightful to being cut to seven eight minutes six minutes and you know um i just think something like that happening wasn't too surprising when it came out to me but you know it doesn't change the fact that it's that's bitterly disappointing i guess yeah i mean it sucks well i'm just gonna come out plainly it sucks for the people involved it sucks for the people on the peripheral you know you really just sympathize with those who worked extremely hard who you know obviously show an immense degree of passion you know, some of the names I, I'm reading on Twitter and stuff, you know, I'm quite surprised that, that you know, just those sorts of people are the ones being let go. And, and to me, it speaks volumes about, like you said, Christian, you know, we had the illegal access be cut to seven minutes from 30-minute episodes and you had the changing of keep up to the A-Leagues app and now you've got this. You know, it makes sense um, in hindsight uh, to me, who doesn't really have a lot of inside knowledge of the APL and its workings, uh, it was quite surprising of the degree of bleeding and the just sort of amount of people who, you know, not just work for the APL, but who have also been proponents of this split with the FA and, you know, have, have sort of been let down in that regard. You know, there's quite rightly fan outrage, you know, in when you hear some of the figures that have been spent on some of these things. So, you know, solidarity with those who've been let go. But, you know, it's just another day in Australian football and it just, you know, it just sucks. Yeah, and... Yeah, I think the, yeah Jack, Jack, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing that's really disappointing me is, obviously, yeah, I think it's not, not a real surprise for anyone, you know, witnessing the space, sort of seeing what's going on, you know, day in, day out, but... It just really blows my mind away, you know, sort of how much money, you know, they invested in this for it to, you know, go bust in just three years. Like that's 
serious like financial look the, the like we, we got a bit yeah i mean the api haven't come out and said that they spent you know three million dollars on a song and stuff like that that's all kind of what we've heard so we can't you know say it's true or not i mean it's the the, the problem with the apl is that the pr is a disaster because we've seen the grand final decision we've seen everything no one can trust them anymore no one can trust what's going to come out of their mouth and anytime anyone is hearing something bad about what they've done they're assuming that it's wrong right so we're hearing you know one million spent on a logo and people going well yeah they probably did that like you know there's no there's no trust anymore it's completely gone but jake as you were saying but yeah, I, I think you know you guys touched on it. Like the likes of you know keep um sorry A League's all access. I think that was one of the things where people like wow you know keep up put up some really really good content here. I think everyone was engaged by it. It was great. Then you had that yeah the cut to what you know five six minutes and it's just like what like like what's going on here? You know what I mean like we had something great there and obviously it makes sense now the budget cuts. But yeah, it's just very disappointing and very disheartening. Now I think there's been a lot of discourse in terms of. You know, people that aspire to work in you know the Australian football landscape. You know, I'm one of them. You know, I'd love to do that, yeah. but it's probably yeah. not the most yeah motivating thing when you say, okay, well, you know, most of the people that are actually full time employed people working in this space have just lost their jobs overnight. Yeah. It's like awesome, okay, brilliant. So yeah, it's it's a real shame because ultimately you need media. You know, you need people spreading the news, talking about this you know sport. If we you know, ultimately, I think, want it to progress. You know, if we want it to become somewhere like England, where it's the number one sport and everyone's talking about it, you need these people. And it's a shame that you know they were the first people ultimately to go. It seems uh, in the APL, but I, I guess it is what it is. And yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to the landscape. You know, over this next well, year or coming years, whatever. Um, you know, who I don't know ultimately sort of fills that role because I think someone ultimately has to do it. Well, this is a thing, right? So, I mean, let's talk from experience. You know, going to press conferences, which is something that three of us here do, uh, either regularly or occasionally. And you've got, I mean, the the number of journalists that are going to press conferences, things like that, is is dwindling by the year. And you know, even Keep Up, who had the resources and had and had you know supposedly a thirty million dollar backing. Even they didn't always have, you know, their guys at press conferences and things like that. And I'm just, I'm just talking from what I'm seeing. I don't know the reasons why or anything like that. Um, but, you know, there's just not enough media now. And it's really, for me, it's really concerning because, you know, there are, they're already, and, and I'm going to kind of say this, you know, there are already things which happen behind closed doors in A-League circles, in clubs, things like that, which don't get said or get said in a different way, maybe than what happened and, and, I can tell you that from from what I know. And you're just thinking, okay, now there's going to be even less media. So there's just less scrutiny. And it's not just important from a fact of, you know, holding, you know, whether it's players, coaches, clubs, whatever it is to account. But look at what's happening, like with the APL. And, you know, there are certain people who are going out and saying like, oh, you need to ask questions, ask questions. But it's like, you know, there's only so much media to go around. I mean, look at us. We're volunteers. Like, we can't always ask questions every day, right? We've got work and we've got other commitments. We've got family. You know, it's like, so it's concerning because you've got a league which is clearly, you know, like it has to be said, I wasn't alive towards the end of, I mean, I was, but I was, what, two years old towards the end of the NSL. So I can't make that sort of comparison. But based on the way people talk about the end of the NSL, it kind of feels like the Haley's in that sort of predicament. I mean, it has to be said. And you've got 
Like you've got two clubs who are being funded by other clubs, some of who are already in dire situations. And then if you're if you're like Western United and you're funding Newcastle, for example, and you don't even have a stadium, you barely have a loyal fan base and you're paying all sorts of overheads with, you know, flights, accommodation, whatever it is on a week-to-week basis. Like, it's just <laughs> how, how, how can that equal sustainable, right? I mean, Jake, Jake, Jake's smiling whilst I'm talking. He's laughing because it's, it's actually ridiculous when you think about it, right? So, look, um, I don't know where this goes from here, but so- something's going to have to give at some point. You're right. Like, it isn't good. And it's, yeah, again, I'm in the same boat as Christian. Like, I was definitely alive when the NSL was around, but I certainly was engaged with it. I was four years old. Yeah. You know? Um, it's it's not looking good from what I've read about the NSL and the end of the NSL. Um, you know, the, there's been a lot of discussion of the comparisons, you know, of the, the broadcast and, 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 and where, you know, football is visible, especially the domestic league of football. And I think... The APL, you know, there's definitely some questions. Uh, and those questions have already been asked in about 15 to 20 articles that have gone on a major... I think a lot of people are asking questions. I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't really know. Like, just because, just because, like, it's not like there's some athletic style, you know, revealing report which comes out the next day, which reveals all the inside, you know, problems with the APL it doesn't mean that questions aren't being asked like I don't know where that kind of narrative comes in like I can tell you now I'm sure someone like Joey Lynch who we all respect here and the work that he does as a freelancer I'm sure he's asking questions to the APL about what's going on like you, you know like I'd be shocked if he wasn't for example that's just one example so yeah Jack you were saying and again like like you said Christian with the media landscape in the A-League as it is you know there's there's people who are there who are volunteers who want to write about their team and support their love. They want to, you know, be sort of custodians and, and, and promote the league in a way to their family and friends. And when this sort of happens, you know, I think go back to the podcast about the grand final deal, it is a sort of just a slap in the face because, you know, obviously there's not that media presence in the A-Leagues and we've seen that dwindle. You know, at least over the last decade, I would say, like it's gone down and down and down, and, and it's disappointing. But you know, we got to start thinking of solutions. We we can't just keep hmm. festering in this hall of misery and, and and you know blame here. Like, there's got to the the thing that's got to give. It's either the A legs, which would be a catastrophic failure if you consider how much money was put into just to get the eight teams up and started in 2005, considering the organisation as a whole, considering the risk Football Australia have entailed and for this to go bust, it, it simply can't happen. It's it's unfeasible for the Australian football in a professional landscape to press the rate set button. This needs to be solved and it needs to be solved with well-thought-out solutions. There needs to be transparency, a lot more transparency, with media, especially because there needs to be that scrutiny. If you're not allowing that scrutiny and you're putting things like closed source, this is how things happen. When there's not a regulator, the market goes crazy and then it crashes. All right. Mm. Is you put it in financial terms. So there needs to be more transparency at the top. There needs to be 
more directed spending. This budget needs to be shoestring. This can't just be, you know, for the next three years. We've got to be looking to the next 10, all right, and 15. We can't be looking at what crowds could be like in three or four years. We've got to be looking like what is the football thing landscape in Australia in 10. And, and the way you do this is by thinking, okay, so who are the fans we have now? At the your your bare minimum is the retention. And the APL by that factor has indeed failed because the retention yep. since they've taken over has taken a dive. And and that needs to be looked at. I mean, and you gotta, like you gotta think about the fact like football, you know, we're always thinking about how we can attract fans from the outside, as in maybe you know, and and this the APL's whole strategy has been around you know basically attracting Euro snobs um, to to support the A League, you know, people who are into football but not Australian football. But it's not not only that that hasn't worked, but like now it's becoming about a battle to keep people who are rusted on, right? And that's that's just a catastrophic failure. Um, like not only have you not achieved your objective, now you're now you're actually going backwards and at a rapid rate. Um, and yeah, the last thing I'd say on this is, you know, with A-League independence and now there's a lot of people coming out and saying, you know, uh, careful what you wish for and this sort of stuff. I'll just say this. The way, the way A-League independence was planned, and I know this for a fact from, from a few people, and the way it was executed are two different things. And just be careful when you're kind of acting like, you know, oh, this was always going to happen when Ali Kers. It's not 100% true. That's all I would say. Um, you know, someone like Stephen Conroy coming as an independent chair only this year, like, let, let me just say this. If you think there was no one in 2018 or whenever, you know, the Ali became independent in the first place, I'm trying to remember, top of my head. 2019, I believe. 2019, who was thinking about that at the time, we should have an independent chair at the start. I mean, you're mistaken because there definitely were people who were saying that then. So, you know, and you can, we, we can discuss that for another day as to it, why. It was written in the, in the mantra when they first separated that, yeah. you know, the, the plan is to get an independent chair. And really, I'm just going to say this as well, just to conclude this chat. There's no second division, no winter calendar, no stadium infrastructure plan that can be implemented in the next mm. two to three years that will stop the bleeding all right this needs to be long-term thinking all right mm. we can't be thinking about how many clicks on social media what's what's our enhancement of of the the broadcast there we can't be looking at these short two to three years you know schemes and plans all right for solutions that can be implemented right now is to make sure that the infrastructure behind the expansion clubs coming into the league next year, we are expanding in and amongst all of this drama, which is, you know, just just a little bit worrisome. And also the expansion clubs that currently are there, which don't have, you know, the best infrastructure around those clubs. We need to be thinking about, all right, how can we have these teams and have the right infrastructure behind them? When it comes to the ownership of both Turf Lawyer and Newcastle Jets, there's been heavy links with several parties for both of those ownerships and they have not been closed. We need to think about who's in those closing meetings and who is doing the bartering. Are we asking for too much? 
are we not being compromising? Because if the APL is in this much of a state where it's got other clubs funding other clubs, and then obviously from all reports, the APL is funding Perth Glory, it is not sustainable for this community, you could say, or this corporation of clubs. Yeah, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? Like, look around. You've got how many how many clubs? I mean, I don't know if you guys. I don't know this off the top of my head. How many clubs are averaging ten thousand a crowd per week right now? Like what? Probably Melbourne Victory, maybe Sydney FC. You know, but it wouldn't be half the league, right? It wouldn't be half the league. And you look, and anyone can see it if you're watching the A League right now. So how on earth can an organization who's funding a club who's losing money by the year? because they're investing into all this digital stuff that's clearly not reaping its rewards. And then you're not even, like, you're losing fans. Obviously, it's obviously something like this is always going to come to a head, right? Um, you don't have to be a genius to work it out. And what, what, Yeah. The main point I was trying to make, all of our strategic thinking, mm. and this goes out to the APL, this is also the FA, because the FA are custodians of football in this country, and the FA, at some point, have to touch base with the APL and have to provide some sort of... I agree. And then this is what we're going to be looking out for, I think, over the next 12 months. Um, It needs to be football-focused. Don't worry about social media, TikTok, Instagram. That is secondary to the product on the pitch and how the clubs are supported to put out the best footballing product, right? Whether that means re looking at where games are played, whether that means that really focusing down on what clubs need to be successful and whether that is compromising some very, very lofty licensing agreements with the APL, whether it means compromising that way. Because, again, like I said, football cannot afford another reset button moment. Mm. Yep, very well put. Um, And then this all kind of... So we had the that reporting and then we had this Selim Khalifi situation uh, with Perth and Melbourne Victory and Perth coming out and saying that they were instructed to loan out Selim Khalifi um, and we could get to I guess the, the the deal in itself and and with Perth and Victory but I mean just just an awful season if you're a Perth Glory fan absolutely awful um, it's just blow after blow um, at this point and like, you know, okay, maybe victory fans there are, are thinking, great, you know, we've got a nice little player with Silm Khalifi, but no one can be happy about this situation. Like, I think Antonis Pagonis uh, of FPF, he put this really well, where it just fundamentally the integrity of league. I mean, imagine if you're one of these Euro snobs, for example, and you are looking at a statement from a club saying that we were instructed by the league to loan out a player. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? It's fundamentally ridiculous. Now, Maybe the league obviously didn't want them to put a statement out like that. And I think maybe it was edited or deleted later. I'm not, not entirely sure. But probably it's Perth going, you know, fuck you. Like, you know, like you, you, you literally make us do this. Like we're going to tell people that that's what's happening. And we're seeing then Alan Statridge's comments yesterday um, in, in his press conference um, where he's kind of, where he was, he was given the statement that the APL made on it, and he's kind of rejected and said, "No, that's not true." Um, and he's kind of fighting back too. And I think now you've got a situation where you've got the league is funding Perth Glory, and Perth Glory are pissed off at them, and 
you know, Alan Stadich is clearly in a situation where he was brought on board, brought on brought board. Jesus, um, it seems on the assumption that he was going to be leading a new era with new owners, and that hasn't happened. And his team's losing games, and now he's now he's shitty, and he's pissed off. And you can't really blame him, to be honest with you. Um, but I guess there was the lighting in the tunnel. Uh, I thought Perth were actually excellent against the Wanderers uh, on Saturday night. I think Sajish had a game plan. Let's fucking park the bus. Who cares anymore? Like, it honestly felt like that. He was like, fuck this. Let's just park the bus and hope for the best on the counter. We've got a great striker who, by the way, maybe for another pod, we have to talk about how good Adam Taggart has been this season. Absolutely phenomenal this season. Um, He's excellent on Saturday. Him and Kolakowski together is just awesome to watch sometimes. Um, Makes my Socceroos Asian Cup. Look a lot better, well, doesn't it? It really <laughs> does. Hey, it really does. Jeez. Um, but you know, he he's excellent. And I, I was just watching that game thinking, honestly, fair play, Stadich. And you know, I, just do this going forward. You might as well. You got a good striker, park the bus, hope for the best, and you might get a few results out of it because you can't, you know, and this is the same thing with Rob Stanton at the moment at Newcastle. And Jack, maybe you can ask this a little bit. Like, how can any of these managers create anything that's actually long-term and viable when you don't even know if your club's going to be afloat in 12 months, right? Like, it's just an impossible situation, and it's really hard to talk about Perth and Newcastle on the pitch this season, I've found, because there's always this ownership thing hanging over it, um, and it's frustrating. But, Jay, I'll throw to you first. Like, the Khalifi thing's ridiculous. Also, maybe you could talk from a victory perspective. Like, they don't even need Salim Khalifi. Like, I don't... I don't even understand that. That was the other thing, which no one's really talking about, obviously, because the main focus is Perth being instructed by the league. Well, allegedly, anyway, instructed by the league uh, to do this. Um, and, like, it's just like, okay, now you've got Khalifi, Valupe, Alzani, Eli Adams, Ben Falami, Chris Economides. Like, it's like, Fornaroli's going to come back. It just seems ridiculous. But, yeah, your your thoughts, I guess. Yeah, so I guess there's sort of a lot of ways to sort of attack this. So you have the sort of the big approach in terms of, Jesus, this is some pretty scary areas, you know, for the league in terms of, yeah, yeah, the league is literally saying, yep, you're accepting this deal. Sorry, yeah, this is happening. Like, I've never heard of that in any other league, to be honest. Like, it's pretty unbelievable. So, yeah, that's that's very concerning. And when you have a coach, you know, himself coming out and calling this out, like, I'm very interested to see, you know, what's going to happen there, like, if there'll be any repercussions or whatnot, because bit crazy then in terms of on the park itself i think for perth to be fair i'd say Salim khalifi maybe hasn't been as effective for perth as he was last season i guess he's returning from injury and whatnot but he's a very very good player like i think he's one of the flariest players in the league i love to watch him play and for victory yeah i think you touched on it perfectly like that if that's probably their position where they're the most stacked i'd say on the yeah. wing um obviously uh, with Bruno Fornaroli out, you know, that sort of takes away one winger for now because obviously they're playing there. But when Fornaroli's back, it's, yeah, you've got solid four or five players there, not just players. You know, these are former Socceroos here and even, you know, someone like Eli Adams, who's being really good. Um, yeah, it's pushing into that small too. So it's just like, it is very baffling. Like, I guess, you know, from a victory perspective, they're like, okay, you know, they probably heard about sort of the situations that's going on in Perth. They're like, okay, we can bring someone in potentially on loan for half a season who's, you know, a, a player that can come in and, you know, probably give us an instant impact. And I guess that was Salim Khalifi. So I, I don't think they're complaining. They probably have the uh, the cap space for it anyways. So, yeah, I, I think Antonis well, made a good point about yeah. it's, it's like a uh, 
uh, like like they're a playoff team making a you know run for the title, and then you have um you know Perth that are tanking. But unfortunately, there's no draft picks, so it doesn't quite work out like well, that. that. Yeah, that's uh, a great one. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that the really, other thing really is like, do we even do we even know if Melbourne Victory had any sort of? I mean, I know people probably say, oh, Southern Cliff is a good player. Like any team should surely be interested. But do we even know if they actually had interest? And it's just like the APL's basically just picked out Melbourne Victory and gone, hey. You know, you wouldn't mind him, wouldn't you? And it's just kind of like... Are you saying that this is the A-League's David Stern vetoing the Chris Paul trade to the LA Lakers? Is that what you're saying? It's a complete reversal, but is that what you're saying? When when, when Jay was talking about, like, adding an extra guy going to the playoffs, I was just thinking about the Celtics right now. It was quite funny Um, (laughs) because we might be in that situation in the trade deadline. Um, But, yeah, like, just... Yeah, just a crazy, crazy situation, but crazy in a bad way. Uh, which the A League's just just got too much of that. Um, to be honest. Now on now, I wanted to get rid of like the off field stuff at the start, so we could literally focus on the football because that's what we want to do here. Um, and I just wanted to talk about in terms of this round, just gone, just the City Mariners game because that's the second time those two have played this season, and just straight off the bat, like. What's this? It's almost like City and Liverpool in the Premier League. Like Mariners City is like this new rivalry that's just brewing. Gosford versus like, you know, what is it? East Melbourne. Um, and just it's just kind of bizarre. But I mean, you've got Melbourne City, the the team who set the standard all these years. And then you've got the Mariners who are this young, hungry kind of like we're knocking you off your perch sort of thing. And it's just been fantastic to watch. And particularly this year, because City are now going through this lull and I think it's real. I don't see, like, in terms of regular season, I don't see them kind of going on on a, on a, on a run and kind of challenging for the mind premiership or anything like that. I don't, I don't really think they're in that conversation. I don't see it. And in terms of the Mariners, like, they had this poor start, but... Clearly, we should have been listening more closely to Mark Jackson this whole time because they've been sensational of late and they are looking like the Mariners again, big time. Um, and just on these two as a matchup this season, they had that game at Amy earlier on the season, three-all draw, which was like just a fucking awesome game of football. Like if you didn't watch it, go back and watch the extended highlights. Something it was awesome. Uh, that was the my moment- boy. Christian bought all of his Angel Torres. Yeah, stock. that was when my boy Angel like showed why you shouldn't be dissing him, and then he did it again by scoring the winner yesterday. He just he Melbourne City fans must honestly hate the sight of him. Um, I, and... I think it's interesting that you made the comparison. It's like Liverpool, Man City. I would argue that it's more like a Man City versus Leicester in twenty fifteen. Oh yeah, no, I mean like I mean like where it's like this new rivalry that no one really kind of expected, and it's kind of been holding up now for like a season and a bit with the Mariners and City? Well, I I just want to explore that a little bit because I'm pretty sure in Leicester's great escape the season before, they took a point from City. And I think it was a pretty important point in terms of their... I don't remember. That's like 2015. Nearly 10 years ago. Yeah, nearly 10 years ago. It's a long time ago. Jesus Christ, that was nearly 10 years ago. we're, We're talking like before... Um, like before, you know, Bessar Barisha scored a bicycle in the semi-final against Adelaide. That, that, that was it. a year. That was the year victory beat Sydney in the grand final. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like holy yonks. shit. We're going but, way back. And, and why I make that comparison is because you've got two teams who have just archetypally 
you know, opposites in terms of how they construct their teams, how do they go about their scouting and how they go about their recruitment in terms of both coaching and players, right? And, you know, it's like fireworks every time they, you know, mm. get on the pitch. Like, I mean... I mean, look, look at the incidents we've had. We had we had before the grand final last year, we had the Andy Bernal and Scott Jamison getting at, going at it before the game. Then obviously we've had this thing happen where, and I'm I'm just going to quickly get into this now. What is Terry Antonis doing? Like you know, I don't know. But Sunday afternoons, chest popped out. Go off, King Wales fun. At least like Terry Antonis has not done <laughs> anything significant in the A League since what 2018 when he scored that goal against Sydney FC. I mean, Sydney he scored FC. a worldie a couple of weeks ago. That that counts, right? Oh, I guess that counts. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's significant. But I mean, it's also like what like a round round eleven game or something. Like you know. I mean, like a game-changing, game season-changing moment, I guess. But, like, and he's just acting all tough to Jacob Fowler. It's like, mate, your team got beat fair and square, you know? Um, and Jacob Fowler's a gun, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And just just eat it. Like, I don't... That's that's kind of as that situation was playing out. And then, obviously, then I don't know what Arslan's doing. He's, like, going over there, like, arcing up to the whole bench. Um and honestly, the whole moment, in all seriousness now, like the whole moment felt like just City throwing their toys out the pram because they know they haven't been up to their standards at all this season. And I think there's a little bit of like, there's a reality settling in that maybe this wasn't an, uh, a Rado-centric thing, this this team and this issues in this team, because we've spoken about this a little bit, the squad building. And, you know, like I saw it again yesterday where... Like now, Lapane, for example, is playing as an eight when he was playing more as a wing at the start of the season. And there's like these kind of these players constantly getting shifted around a little bit. And Natel is is been awful. Um, and they're playing this just stock standard four three three, where it's it's boring and the ball movement is slow. It's passive and it's nothing you would expect of a Melbourne City team. Um, well, I and, just want to make yeah. this point. Yeah, and I think and, and this comes into your sort of football. Um, sort of like looking at them tactically, it's also the fact that I reckon Jamie McLaren's missing about seven goals this season, seven that he should have scored. He had he had a couple of chances in the second half, but even then, like I actually couldn't believe I was watching yesterday. I couldn't believe in the first half how much respect they showed to the Mariners. Like you're Melbourne City, force the issue, go and press, and they yeah. they treated like they actually treated the Mariners in the first half like Perth treated the Wanderers on Saturday. That's what I couldn't believe. It was like, listen, Perth's completely different. Like, they lack quality. They're getting bombarded off the pitch with issues left, right, and center. Like, they actually they actually are entitled to park the bus. Like, I can't believe I'm saying that about a team, but I actually think, you know what? Fair play. Like, you can do that. I get it. Whereas it's like, Melbourne City is sitting off the Mariners and treating them as if it's like, you know, oh, they're going to cut us open if we press. It's like, get at them. What, what's what's going on here? You know? Uh, sorry, I just... I, I need to kind of get it off my chest because... I was watching them yesterday and thinking, like, they actually, there is very little redeeming qualities coming out of this performance right now. And it just feels like that is being too often for them this season. But I'll let you guys kind of take over. I think, I think my, my, my breath needs, just needs a bit of a breather for, for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was an interesting game. Uh, I think it sort of reinstates that sort of idea that, oh, shit, like, like Mariners are probably the big dogs here almost now. Like, like you sort of, you know, naturally sort of give that title to City. But at the end of the day, like, like obviously Mariners have always sort of had this um, underdog sort of spirit to them, but are they really the underdog? 
the dogs anymore. I don't know. Obviously, they had a, a soft start. Man, to start respecting him. Start respecting they're, him big they're, time. They're, they're just a great team. Like, simply enough, like, I, I personally, I actually somewhat get what City were doing in terms of maybe sending off them a little bit because, especially, the Mariners are a great team. I, I mean, I'm, I guess what? Yeah, Both I know what you mean. came from counters the other day. Yeah, true. But I just mean, like, I mean, like, the, I, I just didn't feel like there was any willingness to press in the first half. Like, that's kind of... And then in the second half, we saw City had a period where they were on top and they missed a few chances. Um, and maybe people say I'm overreacting because it's like, well, come on, like, you know, if they if Jamie McLaren scores a couple of those, you know, maybe City win the game, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the thing is that Jamie McLaren does normally score those and Melbourne City are clinical, usually. And they're just not this season. They just look like, to, to quote Brandon Brello, they look like a bang average team. This year. Um, and I just, at this stage, the halfway point, I just think it's what they are. Um, and yeah, that was the team which kind of caught my eye this week. Also, I'll just say with Sydney FC, just while we're here talking about the games, looking much better of late. And I actually think Ufuk Tale has kind of shown a little bit of adaptability with his approach. Like this is not the type of approach we saw him take at Wellington, for example, where he's actually really press heavy with this team. Um and it's working. So uh, I think Sydney FC, we should give a shout out because we have been critical of them this season uh, as well. Uh, and we did have that Wellington victory game where Wellington kind of stole a point again from uh, from victory, um, which I wasn't able to watch because because I wasn't able to uh, do other commitments. But I think Jake, I don't know if you want to if you want to give a little bit of uh, input on that, and then we'll uh, then we'll move on to the Socceroos. Yeah, it was honestly yeah. Like, obviously, you'd say that. Wellington came out of their box a little bit more than the uh, the reverse fixture at Amy Park. Obviously, they were at home. But again, it was just a thing where, you know, victory dominated essentially the whole game, creating chances. They grab, you know, a lucky goal almost off Connor Chapman. It just kind of bounces off him. And you almost think, okay, they've got it here. They've got it here. But Wellington, I don't know how they do it. They, they just got that dog in them. I'm telling you. Like, there's just something <laughs> in them. I don't know what it is. They just they've always got find a way. That's what they've got. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Alex Roofer there to step up 95th minute penalty like it was a really poor from Jason Garriard it was just very Altai worldwide baby that's what they got they got that secret sauce <laughs> but, we got it uh, we got the people yeah, reference was... again Jesus he, he just can't help himself he can't uh, I don't understand yeah, why I keep inviting me back onto these things like it's just ridiculous at this point hey you <laughs> wanted to come on <laughs> what yeah, I didn't tell you to say yes <laughs> mate, you want me to, mate? I'll just be a dickhead if I'm if I'm just rejecting you like that. I thought this was a Chris Tate, you know, Chris uh, Chris Tatorship. Does that make sense? Yeah, a Chris Tatorship. Wow, wow. Look at this. Look at this. Where's HR? Where's HR? Where's HR? <laughs> There's no HR. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Jake, will you uh, will you finish your point, or do you want to just keep yeah, going? But I could just say it's just more of the same this season. Victory. Look very good in possession. Maybe just not clinical at times to you know kill off a game they really should have. Like Nishan Balupe, probably with the miss of the season. Don't know how he missed that chance. Just went through his legs. Um, and Wellington just somehow always finding a way to get a result. But uh, victory still stay undefeated. It's pretty unbelievable. Okay, can I jump on that for a second? Because that was going to be my next point. Like, is this the like least impressive like undefeated start to a season ever? Like. Everyone's like, oh, victory undefeated, victory undefeated. I mean, they've drawn more games than they've won. They've actually drawn yeah. seven games. You know? That has to be a record. That has to be a record. Like, like, didn't like, didn't Brisbane like, just have a similar start last season where they were just drawing a lot of matches? Yeah, they did. They did, I remember. Yeah, they yeah, yeah it's a Brisbane draw, that's right. 
They like yeah, they Brisbane like draw. they 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 won maybe one or two games from like the first ten, and the rest were draws. Like there's all of them draws everywhere, and this resulted in a B grade for Matt Olson, which I'll bring up for the fifteenth millionth time because every hilarious. time Jack comes on here, he has to reference the mid-season grades from last year. I don't know why. I think because it was like a three-hour-long podcast, which I mean normally is the case hey, here. I spend time on that podcast, and I'll be damned if I don't mention. So you it remember things minutes. that you're actually dedicated to? <laughs> Whoa, big call. <laughs> but but just like victory, just real quick. Oh, sorry. Um, like the results in themselves, like there is like a little bit of like victory last season is still lingering around slightly with this team where they just can't kill off games. Um, and like you know, I, I just I don't really want to hear like this kind of oh victory undefeated. It's like, mate, like they've they've drawn more games than they've won. Like, it's not that impressive. Like, I mean, if victory were, what are they? They're six and seven. So six wins, seven draws. If they were like, you know, like 10 wins, three draws undefeated, I mean, first of all, they'd be like eight points clear. And it's just a completely different sort of, you know, um, outlook, I guess. So, yeah, I don't don't know. I'm kind of flagging that kind of like victory undefeated sort of thing. I think it's a little bit overstated at this point. But... Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. We are going to talk about Socceroos a little bit before we before we break and then do our do our segment in the second part. Um, we actually, it's good we got Jack on here because he has some interesting views, kind of around this. Like as always, when Graham Arnold is coaching with the Socceroos, there's some sort of narrative surrounding him. And so Socceroos beat Syria. I'll be honest, I'll stay straight out. I thought they were really bad in that game. Um, I thought there was very little creativity. Very little chance creation. I actually thought if you go back, and I'm happy to say this, I think Syria actually had the better chances in the game. Um, and I really think they deserved the draw in that game. Um, now, I know they didn't get it. And I know probably Jack, when he speaks, will say something along the lines of, listen, Australia got the win. And that's all that matters in tournament football. And that is so true. And at the end of the day, my opinion on this has probably changed in the last couple of days, seeing Japan falter, South Korea falter, and now all of a sudden it's actually like, hey, Honeyball's great. <laughs> Australia, <laughs> Australia took from two. How good's this? But at the same time, it's also kind of like Arnie really struggles against teams who play a low block. Like that that can't be underestimated. Now, I do think, you know, when Australia play like a Japan, if they do at some point, which might not even might not even happen at this tournament if if Japan are on the other side of the draw, you know. They might not have to force the issue. They can play like the Australia at the World Cup, and that'll be great. And maybe that'll play into their hands. But like, let's say Australia get Indonesia in the in the round of sixteen, or or Palestine, who we who we saw in the qualifier. Like, weirdly, I'm actually more worried about a game like that than I am like playing Japan at this point. Um, which sounds crazy when you think about it, but I I like my faith in this team being able to break down a low block is like increasingly becoming like less and less as the game as the as the games go by because I just think Arnie is he's making a few decisions in regards to like I don't think and I know people are gonna shit on me for this comment, but like I know Jackson Irvine scored a goal in each of the games and they were very important goals, but fundamentally he's not a number ten. Like he's just not. Like he doesn't have the ability to break runs beyond. He's un comfortable receiving the ball in between the lines. I don't think that's a skill set that he has to play in that position. Riley McGree came on in that game and we saw what a number 10 actually looks like. So, team selection against Uzbekistan is going to be interesting. 
who knows, maybe against Uzbekistan, Australia can play on the counter a little bit more. They are a team who are probably a little bit more European-based in the way they kind of approach the game. But yeah, there are some red flags, but I'm not going to overreact like some people have, have at the moment after the Syria game because at the end of the day, soccer is up two from two and they have kept a clean sheet in both games. They did take their chances technically when it mattered. They were clinical, even though they didn't create a lot. So you can't complain too much because if they keep some of those trades, you know, they probably can beat Japan. They probably can beat South Korea, you know, uh, based on what we're seeing from them. But um, I don't know. I just had to get that out there because I just think the low block thing is is a really big issue with soccer is at the moment. I think you do, you know, make a pretty good critique. Australia are not particularly great at breaking down a low block. I mean, we saw it in the qualifiers up until Qatar. Um, you know, the the one one with China hurt, and it hurt a lot. Um, and and I think I made this point when you know within the I think the twelve hours of the game being over. Yeah, I seeing a lot of Twitter chat and uh, even amongst the front page football team about you know Arnie's oh no infighting know, employee infighting. It, it was it was a HR a HR needed to be called. I mean. We don't have one, but it certainly <laughs> needed to be called. There were some big calls being being uh, touted in the group chat. But uh, my point was sort of in those games where, look, Australia go out and beat Syria 4-0, we're not talking about, you know, even the game against India where it was kind of, you know, below expectations. We're talking about, okay, first game's a little bit, of a, you know, sort of a hiccup. We got through it 2-0, that's fine. And now we just smash Syria 4-0. And that's what we're talking about. Completely flips the narrative. And I know this is hypotheticals here, but we still get a victory. And I know you said that you flagged it. I'm always about three points is three points. Like goal difference only matters over a 36-game season, 28-game season. It does not, well, not in the A-League. But my my point isn't around goal difference. (laughs) No, my point is more around performance, right? So like- I'm about to get into that. Okay, okay, keep talking. In terms of the performance, like, I don't see the the glaring flags that people have been, like, telling me about. I honestly see, look, Syria were always going to play on the counter, and in a few chances in that game... You you have to create more. Surely you agree that you have to create more. But you've got... Think about the players Australia's lost since the World Cup. Aaron Moy has retired. He was a creative force during... The, the Qatar World Cup. All yeah, right. but I think and there's enough degree- there. I think there's more than enough there that you can trot out a lineup that has enough creativity in it to at least create more against Syria. I'm not saying, listen, let me make this very clear. I'm not saying like a game where like Australia creating like an XG of five against these teams. No, like that'd be, that'd be insane. Like if they were doing that, I'd say, give us the Asian cup now. Like that's how, that's how high I'd be on the team. But I'm just saying like, come on, man, you can't like have this constant, you know, cycle of you're facing these teams and the ball's just being very slowly back and forth, left to right, without really any sort of risk taking in in the approach. Um, because sooner or later, like one of these teams parking the bus, I think is going to find you out. Like, and that's what I'm worried about. It was. I was going to get onto the point. You've got a Riley McGray coming back from injury, right? Ideally, if you want the most creative lineup out there, right? Down the left, what, Goodwin, Boss, down, you know, down the right-hand side, maybe have McGree in a more, like, 
elevated position. Metcalf sort of slots in the middle with Irvine. And McGree's pushing the in issue beyond. I mean, we've watched Miss Duke. That's an injury that we have to deal with now. Yeah. Who's just an energizer bunny up front who may not score a heap of goals, but he does provide something off the off there. Wouldn't you say but that Fornaroli could bring more creativity as a nine? It depends on who you play around him. I mean, Mitch Duke is the type of guy who will press and press and press and press. And when he does score, it's usually from a good position with a good ball in the middle. And he's there to finish it off. That that's his sort of mm-hmm. that's his sort of mantra. Bruno Fonaroli, in a way, is more if he's played in a striking role, poaches, but he also has this ability to to like you said, you know, in between the lines, this this sort of ball control, you know, it, it rarely, rarely gets too far away from his laces. And yeah, it's exciting. But for me, against a team like Syria, where you know they're gonna sit deep, you know you're gonna sit in a low block. You've got two options. You can play all those creative players with flair. And to me, Syria are going to do one thing. And guess what? They're a big team. They're a big team. All right? They're not mm-hmm. the team. They're not as small as they were when I remember seeing them in World Cup qualifiers. You know, when would that would have been? About six, seven years ago now. Like, they're... Are you talking they're, about, are you talking about the, the two legs for, for Russia? Yes. I'm talking about those two legs. Yeah. They, they've gotten bigger, more physical... The risk you pose by putting those players with flair and that play with that sort of exciting that you can go, oh, they can break down, is that they get cut down. And all they do is just put the studs in, put the studs in, put the studs in, and they hamper them that way. You, you've you got to almost, in a way, in those situations, fight fire with fire. If you put on your magisters, your, your, you know, your exciting number 10s and wingers who dribble at players... I'm not saying you're more likely to lose. I'm just saying you might sustain injuries. You might have a player like Boss being, even though he started, and I know he started, I'm well aware, but you might a player like a Boss. You might have a player like a Goodwin. You might have a player like a McGree. Picks up a bruise, picks up a niggling injury that lasts for the tournament. Am I saying that Graham Arnold is extremely good at breaking down low blocks? Abs- I'm not saying that. But in this game, given the circumstances and, and given what Australia were had to deal with, I think that they played better than they get given credit for. <clears throat> and, and and that's the point I want to make. You can bark all you want about breaking teams down, getting into those small spaces and, and exposing low block teams. But you also have to thought about, all right, if we can't do that or we don't want to risk potential injury to do that in a group game where we're expected to get out, right? And yep. let's say this, draw's not the end of the world in that group. A draw's not the end of the world, right? Yeah. You might have to just go, all right, if I go for more physical presence and I just try to outrun them, which I think the Socceroos did, I think Syria looked way more gassed than we were. Even though they were punching towards the end of that match, I feel like they were gassed. And yeah. it worked. At the end of the day, that worked. And I'm not willing to sit here and absolutely blast Graham Arnold because... No, no, no. And that's not what I'm doing. That's that not what I'm doing. What My point is more, you have to look fundamentally at what the Socceroos were doing and whether the players in certain roles were actually fulfilling that objective. So, Australia built up in this kind of 2-3 system. They inverted the fullbacks for particularly the first half. Now, what I was surprised about is they went away from that in the second half of this game. And I don't know why, because I actually think it gave them like real, real control in the midfield area. Um, and I think Bayes can do that role well. 
Gethin Jones so far has not been not been a really good experiment. I think he looked very poor as that inverted option. And this is kind of what I mean, Jack, is I would like to see Lewis Miller come in, for example, in the next game. I would like to see, um, you know, now I know Duke's injured, so we probably will see Fornaroli. But let's say Duke was fit. I would have liked to see Fornaroli maybe against Uzbekistan because also, and also there's this kind of uh, argument of, well, we're through anyway. So even though first is probably going to be really important, but um, to try out some different players. But I just want to see in certain positions, some more creative players, I guess, given a chance. Like, you know, in this game, Boss could have easily played left back and maybe been that inverted option and Goodwin could have started as a left winger and we could have seen that partnership and and seen what we have with it, right? Because the other thing about a group stage, and to your point, Jack, is if you think we're going to get through anyway, well, why not try some things that you could use later down the friendlies. line too? What's they're that? Friendlies. They're not friendlies. They're still competitive matches. Well, then why not play the creative players like you're talking about? No, but, you know, you could... It, you're talking about, all right, if McGray was fully fit, of course you'd start him and play Irvine deeper. Like, that's just, I don't I don't think Graham Arnold's, you know. No, and, think- and uh, just one thing, just quickly. I have to give him credit because I think when he actually did shift, he had to take off O'Neill because he got booked, fair enough. And yeah. I was worried for a second because I thought he was going to play Bacchus as a single six. And I was thinking, no way. Like, I don't think he's got that quality to do that. But then he dropped over on deeper and we saw McGree plays essentially 110 and it made a lot more sense. And I think the Socceroos look better after that. Yeah. Make, make my final point is with, okay, when you talk about the players playing up front, you have a little bit more leeway. All right. You have a little bit more leeway to maybe do some of that experimentation. Under no circumstances would I be gassed about experimenting with that back four in a group no, game, no. regardless of the opposition. No. The predicament, like it is now, we're through in the group. Well, I'm well, happy wait, for Lewis Miller to come in and Jones boss to get a left back. It's an experiment, though. Like, 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 like get, Gethin, Gethin Jones, Jones is technically an experiment. At all. Like, like, He's like, technically like expanded. He played crap. He had no involvement in any qualifying <laughs> or anything. He just, just came in out of nowhere and played. And he's been okay, but d- d- does he offer anything that Nathaniel Atkinson or, or Lewis Miller can offer? I don't know. I feel I like that was a weird decision. Mm, mm. I feel like he is a fullback more in the tune of an out-and-out defensive player. Do I think he played good? No. All right. And anyone who says that, anyone on Twitter, and I've seen a few wild takes about how none of the soccer rules will get into a starting 11 at Bolton. Which is fucking ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> do I think Gadda Jones was good? No. Do I understand why Graham Arnold played him? Yes. I understand That's fair why. enough. That's fair enough. I, yeah. In terms of the archetype of the player, right? In terms of, you know, who you're trying to sort of, I don't know, get into that spot and you're a low block, you're defensing in the counter attack, you want a solid back four. You want a solid back four that can clean it up. Right, effectively is when they start to get forward, clean it up. And yeah, but speaking drink- of that, like one thing I'd just say, just quickly as a worry as well, is the Socceroos are pretty sluggish. Like Cameron Burgess had a couple of giveaways in this game. Gethin Jones gave the ball away a couple of times. Like I'd be worried as well against these teams that are kind of waiting for one chance about just being sloppy playing out as well, um, because that just did come up a couple of times. But yeah, that that was all I was going to add there. I get it. But just to finish on the experimentation point, I mean by an archetypal tactic experimentation. So I'm not meaning about personnel, mm-hmm. all right? I mean by, you know, going two inverted wings instead of, you know, maybe one sort of up and down guy. Like 
they itch, mate, he still goes. Still goes. In that game against Syria, was going and going hard. Uh, that was one of the better games I've seen him play for the Socceroos since Argentina. Yeah, but, I, really yeah, but that's, that's my point. I actually think he was good in the first... He was much better in the first half when they were inverting him. And then all of a sudden, they just went away from that. And I was kind of like, why? Bage is actually having a bit of an influence in the midfield area. But I don't... That, that And that's kind of what I mean. Like, you know, it's these kind of subtle things which... No, we, we don't need to blow up and like, you know, oh my God, Arnie out. What the hell? No, not at all. But... I do think it's important to analyze them because, you know, those are the differences between, you know, getting knocked out in the quarterfinals and, and winning the thing. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Jake, anything to add on uh, on this? Oh, I, I think I'd sort of add where I, I, I thought it made made sense in terms of the change because I think that change with the fullback sort of coincided with Aiden O'Neill ultimately getting taken off. Obviously, he naturally plays as that number six. So yeah. once you get him off and you have backers come in with the two, it probably doesn't really make sense to play with the inverted wingers. So I got that. But yeah, I, I, I think you guys sort of covered a lot of the key areas. Like obviously, once McGree is fit and able to start games, I think he should be without a question starting. Yeah, I think he's by far our best number 10 and he made such a difference. Like he mm. was like so like clear. Like, mm. like I think sometimes it's almost hard to imagine when you're watching the current plays on the field. But then when you see someone come in and do the things on that things and you're like, wow, okay. Like it was this easy. Just having a number 10, you know, that can actually turn yeah. and create so he <laughs> yeah. was great um i was also really interested because obviously i made the point on the previous podcast in terms of jordan boss where a lot of people say hey you know he takes beige as well which i don't necessarily agree with because i think beige like we've sort of discussed mm. is really really good in birdie playing that role mm. and mm. he ultimately took uh craig goodwin's spot which i thought was really interesting because uh, i don't know um I, I yeah i was jordan wondering was but then goodwin didn't come off the bench so i was wondering i don't know i haven't seen whether he was asked afterwards graham arnold but I was wondering whether, yeah, maybe Goodwin was underdone or anything like that. Maybe he wasn't ready mm. to play. But um, just one thing with Boss, Graham, if you're listening, please don't play him as a right winger. Um, he's not Gareth Bale yet. He, he will be at one point, but but he's not yet. So, yeah, don't play him on the right. All right. Um, uh, quick quick one for you guys. Fornaroli or Yangi to start against Uzbekistan, your opinion? Both. I, 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 Whoa, I, 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 what I the fuck? Yeah, well, well, we saw it at the end of the last game. It's nothing crazy. You know, we saw him sort of go with that two-striker formation with um him and yeah. well, Fornaroli up top. So who are you sitting then? Yeah, where are you going to put McGree in a system like that? If, if McGree's well, fit to well, start. I don't know if McGree's... Okay, if McGree's fit to start, I'd probably go with Fornaroli to start. Yeah. Um, and then McGree behind him. I'm saying, all right, but, all right. Let's, let's, I'll, I'll say in the in the system like that we played against Syria. Oh, well, definitely Fornaroli. I, okay. I think he like almost perfectly suits the way we want to play, especially in the group stage, as mm. we're sort of talking about different matchups and profiles. I think he's perfect in these type of group stage profiles where we're going to have more of the ball because simply he's great on the ball. Yeah. Now, Mitch Duke, as good as he is, um, you know, in many aspects, I think especially on the counterattack, um, I don't think he's probably as suited as a Fornaroli. Faun this is perfect. Like, tight spaces, linking up. Imagine him and, you know, McGree linking up. You know, like, I think that's the perfect way to break down these teams. You know, it's not simply just, you know, playing the ball wide, whipping them in, hoping something happens. Actually, that's actually hot, that sentence. When you, you said, when you said, imagine him and McGree linking up, like, wow, that's, that's, that's sexy. That's all, and and I I think he offers because you know like it's funny the one player you know that that's like that he isn't really Australian you know Uruguayan and I think that really reflects you know where we are you know as a footballing nation like we need more <laughs> just, just quickly 
look at our starting eleven. We got we basically got three naturalized players in the starting eleven. No, four, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess Burgess has kind of always been Australian, but then he kind of yeah, yeah, he yeah, he's, he's been on the middle, yeah, yeah, but yeah, and then so, Jones is uh, like but, 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 basically but Welsh, and then yeah, yeah, and then obviously you got Suter, and if Fornaroli starts, yeah, obviously, so yeah, okay, well, that, I, we'll I, take I, it, we'll take it. I'm just gonna say yep. this: if um, the Fornaroli and McGray linked up, this is a Sports Illustrated issue. Then I'm the family pictures on your bedside table because I reckon I'm gonna start Yangi. For the shift. <laughs> That's a weird analogy, but it's fucking hilarious. Don't even deny it. <laughs> um, All right. So you're going Yangi. Wow. Wow. Um, this is why. And I'm going to explain mm. why. I think that, like you said about 10 minutes ago when we started talking about this, I think Uzbekistan are going to try and force the issue a bit more. And in that sort mm. of situation, I think that Yangi's hold-up play, and let's not, let's not discredit him. He has some good feet as well. I think his physicality and his hold-up play is going to be important, especially... If you're looking at a situation where you have runners like, you know, whether it is Boss or Craig Goodwin on the left and Riley McGree or Metcalf on the right, I think that's going to be important. And yeah, if, if I'm Graham Arnold, just 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 me tactically, I'm, I'm going Yangi from the start. But if it's coming to a case where it's, you know, nil all and, you know, I mean, that's that's good enough, but is the Uzbeks are getting some, some really good field possession. You just need to control a bit more. That's the situation where you can bring in a Fornaroli and you can have him control up front and not necessarily get in tight areas to to win the game, but just to control the ball around the 18-yard box and keep the ball in their half a little bit more. So um, it, it sort of depends on on which way you want to attack the Uzbeks if you you really want to, to risk it for a win or do you want to get the point and just move on to the, the 16. It's all about that mindset. But yeah, I'm, I'm going Yangi because I'm expecting the Uzbeks to come out of the blocks and, and force the issue against the Socceroos. Yeah, right. Okay. I'll go for Naroli because I just want to see him start again. I just want to see it. Um, to be honest, that's actually the main thing. I just want to see how he looks. Um, yeah. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we've got, uh, yeah, we've got, our, we've got our segment, uh, which I still haven't really given any teaser about what it is, uh, and I'm not going to yet, so uh, you have to find out after this break. 